0: Our lesson this morning is from Genesis chapter 21. Please stand. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, and the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave his the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and sent out, and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of, of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and, and the knife. So the two of them walked to on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out on his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am.
1: Thanks be to God. Congregation
0: may be seated. Let us
1: pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. I have been reading that story that Jack just read um, a number of times this week and every time I read it, I expect it to become less horrifying and it doesn't. In fact, I was preparing myself this weekend for you to read it, Jack, as a teenage boy because I was thinking it should have a PG-13 rating stamped upon it and I knew you just turned 13 so you could be our elector. So happy birthday and good job. Um, Pastor Scott disagreed with me, and he thought rated R, Um, so I don't know what we can do about that problem. (laughs) We did release the other kids to kids' time. Actually, this story is one that we do indeed have Sunday school lessons for. It is indeed taught and talked about with children. In fact, one of my only memories of Sunday school growing up was this text. I remember being in the basement of the Methodist church I was raised in, sitting on the folding chairs and the big chalkboard in front of us, and the Sunday school teacher telling this story and then posing this question, do you trust God enough to have a faith like Abraham? I was probably nine or ten years old at the time because we left that church when I was 12, so I was under 12. And I remember thinking, nope. Something inside of me stirred and I thought I could never do that and I wrestled with the question of whether or not Abraham's faith was really to be admired. Did I want to have a faith like that? And so when we were invited to pray and bow our heads and the teacher said, God help us have a faith like Abraham, I thought I'm not sure I believe this prayer. If you're paying attention to the story this morning, it is a story that I believe turns our stomachs a little bit. It wakes us up as we hear gory details about a child being tied to an altar and a knife being raised in a father's hands. Ugh, right? I kind of want to dismiss the story and throw it up on the shelf and say, that's an ancient tale for a day long ago, and we don't need to think or talk about these stories anymore. However, as I thought more and more about it, I realized that I was dealing with stories like this all around me in the world. This summer, my daughter Lily has been begging me to read the book, The Hunger Games. If you know The Hunger Games, you might realize that the story isn't far from it. It is also about children being sacrificed, in fact, not just one, but 25, who are called together to go and be in a reality television show because the government requires these kids to fight to the death. It's horrifying. When Helena was the same age, she asked me to read the book, too, and I said, no, no, PG-13 rating, can't read it yet. And then she came home one day in fifth grade and said, I checked it out from the library and I read half of it in school today, Mom. (laughs) Too late. And so fifth grade has been the standard. Not until fifth grade, so all the summer. I'm a fifth grader now, I'm a fifth grader now. You can guess what she spent last weekend doing. Reading this book, a book about children being sacrificed a book that turns my stomach, a book that I believe causes us to wonder about the ways in which we live and what we do to our children. Sadly, stories about children being sacrificed are not unique. They are something that I think happen over and over again, and I do believe, actually, that they serve a purpose. On the one hand, they are horrifying, but more often than not, they tell a story of transformation and hope they tell a story about oppression and violence and difficulty in our world and they also point out the stark reality that things need to change when these when our children are suffering and they call us to think and live differently they call us to pay attention to Because who doesn't pay attention when our children, the most vulnerable in our world, are suffering or struggling? I think we all do. I believe these stories are an invitation for us to think about the ways in which we live and the decisions we made and how our children might be sacrificed in that promise, in that process, and actually, how can we change it? Because when our children suffer, we do say, no, something needs to change. And we try to transform our world from violence and oppression to liberation and peace. This story of Abraham and Isaac is actually not that different. It was told at a time where the backdrop for the community would have been the truth that other religions were practicing child sacrifice. As much as we don't want to think that, it was happening in the culture and in the world around them. It was believed that we had to give and sacrifice in order to appease our gods. If we want it to rain, God's going to ask us to give something on our behalf a God's behalf and so other cultures indeed would do rituals like we heard described today only fulfilling that act I think reading this story with that backdrop in mind doesn't indeed allow us to hear a different interpretation perhaps the story was told as a story of transformation, a story that named that reality happening in the world around them and said, you know what? Our God is different. Our God actually doesn't ask or doesn't want us to provide that sacrifice, but instead our God provides it. And this story was a visual and very important reminder to the people that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, is a God who fulfills God's promises and provides for us even when we don't make those sacrifices. Our God shows us another way. And we can in some ways just leave it at that and give thanks that our God is different, but I also think that might be just ignoring some of the truth of the story. In my studies this week, I was reminded that this text is told every year during Rosh Hashanah. It is told, actually, Rosh Hashanah will be celebrated this week, September 20th, by our Jewish brothers and sisters. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. And so on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, they hear the beginning of the story, what Jack read for us about Abraham and Sarah receiving this promised baby. And on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, they hear the end, this story about Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain in order to sacrifice him, but being stopped by God. And I've been thinking about that and wrestling with it. Can you imagine? I mean, what is your New Year's like? My New Year's tends to be a lot of food and television And celebration with maybe sometimes horns or party hats and we make resolutions and give each other hugs and kisses and we say blessings on the new year. And I think often our new years are all about let's get to this hopeful new place where everything's going to be great. I mean, isn't that kind of what we, like the soup of our culture, like New Year's is the time for new possibilities, hopefulness, and life will be good now that we've put that past behind us. But imagine after you blew your horns and said all of your Happy New Year's if you pulled out this story and you read it. How might your New Year be prepared for you differently? What might you be thinking about instead? seems like a pretty stark reality, and yet somehow truthful, too. The first time we read this story, or I read this story this week, was Tuesday morning at our staff meeting. We were gathered around the table, and we had invited Pastor Melissa Melnick to join us for this meeting. Melissa is our partner congregation. She runs Tapestry in Richfield, Minnesota. Melissa also buried her son, Christopher, this past year. And when I think about how Melissa might have started her new year knowing that her son would graduate from college and all the possibilities that lay ahead of him and all of the good things happening for their community, which actually had 10 partner congregations and was doing well, and then this awful tragedy that happened. How things might feel differently. As I read the words of our text, it almost felt as if the words just hung in the air, and I had the same pit in my stomach that I had when Jack read it this morning. I thought, ugh, this is hard. And thankfully, someone in our staff named that as soon as I finished. That was hard for me to hear this morning, that staff member said, and asked Melissa, was it hard for you too? And Melissa spoke from the place of authenticity and truthfulness that I so admire about her. And she said, Everything is hard to hear today. This wasn't any more difficult than anything else that I hear and see. Everything is hard. So we started to talk about the story and wrestle with questions, and way we might understand it differently, and things we didn't like about the story. And then Melissa spoke up. She said, the story isn't about all that. It's a story about putting God first. It's a story about trusting God no matter what you are going through. It's a story that reminds us no matter how hard we try to protect our children, we can't but God is faithful. God is faithful to God's promises, and God provides for us in ways that we never expect it and when we least expect it. I found it interesting. While I wanted to argue with this text, Melissa rested in the promise of it, knowing God's promises won't be broken, and God does provide. It might be the most honest text that anyone could read on the first day of a new year. For us to encounter the indeed stark reality of our world, to not put on rose-colored glasses and pretend everything's great all the time, and of course the year will be perfect, but instead know that we all have mountains to climb in the year to come, know that we all have paths to go up, and we don't know what is around that next corner, But what we do know is that God is with us. What we do know is God has promised to never abandon us. And what we do know is that no matter how faithful we are, God is faithful to us. And will be there no matter what. Thanks be to God. Amen.